Hey guys, thanks again for joining us on the Foundry Church podcast. Every week we upload a new message, so make sure you subscribe. That way you can be notified right when that goes up. And if you're looking to stay connected with us throughout the week, you can do so by liking us on Facebook and subscribing to our YouTube channel. With that said, let's get into the next part of our series, Life to the Full. And we're going to be wrapping up the series today with talking about fullest love and what does fullest love look like. And in preparing for this, I was trying to think about fullest love and what, what does that look like? How are ways that this is established in different things? And But I kept coming up with ways that fullest love was not. Um, and I thought the uh, best way to describe what fullest love is not is by telling you about my first love. Um, I, I went to... Zealand Christian in middle school and elementary, and this may be surprising to you and may, may be hard to picture, but I was tall and lanky in middle school as well. But I didn't have many girls chasing after me in middle school. So I went to high school at Zealand East, and most of my friends went off to Holland Christian because that's where most of the Zealand Christian people end up going. So I was meeting a ton of new people. Um, I was having a hard time remembering names. And a few weeks in, I had a buddy come up to me and say, Matt, there's a girl that likes you. What? This is, this is new for me. I, I don't even know what to do. Point me in her direction, right? So he points in her direction, and later that day, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. It, it was fantastic. It's <laughs> the, the greatest love story ever, right? And my, my problem was, I, I, I'm not great at remembering names all the time. And, oh, you know where this is going then. Uh, and going to a school where you're meeting just like hundreds of people at a time, I had a hard time remembering her name because I didn't really know much about her when we started dating. So here's a word to the wise for you boys who are entering the relationship world. Um, remembering her name is fairly important. You're going to want to work on that. Um, and you'll be surprised to know that that relationship didn't actually work out all that long. But... Thinking about that, like at the time, I thought I was experiencing full love. Like this was new. This was exciting. This, is, this must be what fullest love is. And I found out quite quickly that, that that isn't what it is. That's not what fullest love looks like. So the question remained, what is fullest love? See, sometimes it's hard to realize full love, right? It's hard to Think about what full love is. Sometimes we need to endure a time that isn't full of love in order to realize that. See, the thief can come into our lives and kind of distract us from what full love is. Right? The thief might tell us that we're not worthy of full love, that we, we, we don't amount to enough to be loved. He might even be telling us the people that do love us, they don't actually mean that. They're just saying those things. They don't actually love you. Right, the thief comes to rob us of full love. But what is fullest love then? See, I think the story that we're going to dive into today, the story of Ruth, paints a beautiful picture of what full love is. But to the understand the depth of a full love story, you need to know some of the details around it, right? Like if, you, if someone, one of your friends, didn't know what Beauty and the Beast was, you won't start by describing that there's this beautiful woman, Belle, who falls in love with an animal-like beast. They get married. He turns into a man, which is weird. And oh, also the clock and the candlestick also turn into human beings. The end. 
what? No, that, that doesn't make any sense. You don't, it doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know the details around how Bell fell in love with the beast and how they just came together. There's a beautiful love story around that. And if you don't know the details, it really doesn't make as much sense. So we're going to be diving into some of the details about the love story that we find in Ruth. So we're going to get started. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Ruth 1, and we'll get started with verse 1. In the days when the judges, we're going to pause there. All right, yeah, we got real far. So in the days when the judges. So to understand this story completely, we, we need to look a little bit further back. So it, this summer, we spent a lot of times in the kings and going through the stories of the kings. And when the kings ruled, they made the laws and they were in charge of people. They decided what the laws were. The, in the time of the judges, this was before the kings came on the scene. So the judges kind of helped with some, some of those laws and rules, and they would judge based on the law of Moses, which is kind of brought about in the first few books of the Bible. Okay, so the law of Moses, some of you might know the Ten Commandments, that would be in the law of Moses, and there's other different rituals and symbols that are talked about throughout uh, the first few books of the Old Testament that they're ruled by. So this is kind of the, the time that we're walking into right now. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Mahalan and Kilian. And they were Ephraites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So if you're anything like me, we just talked about a lot of places and a lot of people and a lot of names that we've never heard of. Right, so in order to visualize it better for me, I, I like to do a family tree. So we're going to look at a family tree a little bit. So we've got Elimelech, who married Naomi. So they're kind of the patriarchs of our story for a moment. So Elimelech and Naomi, they have two sons, Mahalan and Kilian. Now, a few years after they had the sons, um, Elimelech dies. Okay, so we're left with Naomi, Mahalan, and Kilian. Now, both of her sons marry two girls. Uh, Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, and Ruth, right? So fairly happy family, right? They, they continue living life. They, they don't have their father as kind of the main patriarch, but the sons are taking care of the estate, the wealth, the land, and they're working the land. Um, so they're taking care of Naomi and the women. Now, about 10 years in, Mahalan and Killian um, die. So we're left with Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth, um, and this is kind of where, where the story picks back up. You see, Naomi tries to kind of push the girls out. Like, not in a mean way, but she wants them to go back to their own families. They, come, they came from different lands and different families, and they would be better cared for if they would return home. Because Naomi is, isn't married to anyone anymore. There's no men to protect her, right? And her two sons are now dead, so there's no one to protect any of them. There's no one to work the fields. There's no one to provide an income and to keep them safe. The girls are better off if they go back to their own lands. She even, uh, she, ju she just pushes so hard to get them to go back because she understands what, what happens if there's no men to provide for them. It says this, No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. 
So remember when I was talking about the law of Moses and some of the, the things that they included, that, that was around because in that time, women were viewed more as property than actual significant others, right? They were viewed as that. So if that, that day and age, they weren't valued very high. See, it was hard for women to live back in the ancient days, but it was even harder if you were a widow, if you didn't have anyone to protect you, if you didn't have anyone to provide for you. One part of the law of Moses comes from Deuteronomy 24, and it says it really clearly. When you are harvesting in your field and overlook a sheaf, which is like a piece of grain, okay, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So God kind of spoke through Moses in Deuteronomy here and says, take care of the widow. They've got no one looking after them. Take care of the foreigner, the fatherless, because I care about them. Because in their culture, the men were the ones who provided for their families. The men were the ones who owed the land. So when the husbands died, there's no one to do this. There's no one who would take care of them. We see typically in that day and age, the sons would provide for their mother and the whole family if like the patriarch husband dies. Right, And that happened for 10 years until both of those husbands die, and then there's nothing left that they can do. See, for these women, there's no one to protect them. There's no one to look out for them. And there's no sons to fall back on when those ladies get older. See, the widows were truly in a very vulnerable spot. And this is where we find the women right now. We've seen Naomi trying to push the girls back to their own lands because she knows it, it's not going to be an easy life from here on out. Let's continue reading where we left off. It's at verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So we can see right away that one of those daughters goes back to her own land, right? But Ruth stays back, even though the outcome may not be all that favorable for her. She knows that they may be having a hard time finding even food. Now, remember that passage in Deuteronomy that we read a few minutes ago. It talked about the harvesters um, leaving some grain, right? So think about that as we're introduced to a new character in the story. So this is coming out of chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So you notice the word harvester there? It's not, you can, you're not supposed to picture like an international harvester combining a field now, right? <laughs> they didn't quite have those in those ancient days. What it would be, in, in the ancient times, they would have a hand tool that had the curved metal end, and they would cut through the grain. 
looks a little bit like this. You can see two heads kind of slowly going through the grain. And as they would be cutting through it, they'd make bundles and tie those bundles up and then put them off to the side. So in the next picture, it shows the idea that this is when the whole field has been cleared. And you can see that there's not really that much left. Right? And if the widows and the foreigners and the poor could only rely on this, their future wasn't that bright. Right? They, if they could scrape enough food to get by, it's a miracle. There's, the harvesters aren't purposefully leaving gra extra grain around. They, they're trying to clear as much as they can. And this is how the poor and the widows would eat. This is how they would survive. And it's definitely not a glamorous life. Right? It's literally just a life that's getting by. Let's continue. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Such a happy group of workers. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She has come into the field and has remained there from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. They're almost saying, uh, she's not been working hard, as hard as we have. She, she did take a short break for a little bit, right? So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. See, do you remember the, the law of Moses that we talked about and how it kind of instructs to leave the grain that, that you left? Don't go back and pick it up and clean everything out, right? Does Boaz do that? Absolutely. Yeah, he absolutely does that. He's letting the women follow back in the field. But do, Boaz does so much more than that. He says, drink the water that the men have filled. Right? They've, they've filled it. Feel free to drink from that whenever you're thirsty. And I'll provide protection for you in the field. Right? In, that, in that ancient culture, the women were not necessarily protected when they would walk in a field and try and glean from it. Right? They, they weren't valued highly, so they were often in danger or harmed. See, Boaz is treating her much higher than anyone else would. Now, as we start reading this next section, it is a long section, but pay attention to the details and how this story really comes to life when we, when we read it. So verse 10, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I a foreigner, or why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all that she wanted and had some left over. As she, was, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. 
Then, then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an FF, however you want to say that, which is probably about 30 pounds. Okay, so she's got a lot of grain that she's gathered behind these guys. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I had worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth, then Ruth, the Moabite, said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman who worked for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. We just talked about that. that there's a good chance they'd be hurt in other people's fields. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is our relative. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he finished eating and drinking. When he lays down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far edge of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Pretty startling, right? He'd be like, what are you doing there? That's pretty much what he's asking. And so he asks that, and Ruth says, I'm Ruth, your servant. You're, you're my guardian redeemer. Please spread your blanket over me. See, and those words, spread your blanket over me, was pretty much Ruth asking, will, will you marry me? Will you, will you be my husband? See, the story continues and ends in a way that we're all rooting for. Ruth and Boaz end up getting married and everything is great. See, but the story of Boaz and Ruth doesn't just end off with them riding into the sunset. It actually ends with a genealogy which when I think about it, that's a really weird way to end a love story, right? It's all this love, it's all this exciting romance, and then all of a sudden, and they had this child, and this person had this child, and this person had this child. It's kind of a dud of an ending, isn't it? But when you look at the names of who's in there, it brings the story to life. Pay attention to these names, because Ruth conceives a child with Boaz and names him Obed. Obed becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse becomes the father of David. Recognize that? See, Ruth, the widow who probably thinks she is so undeserving of love, is in the line of David, is in the line of kings that we've been talking about all summer long. But do you understand what that means then? If she's in the lines of the kings, she's also in the line of Jesus Christ. 
See, the Ruth, the widow, the one who may have thought she's unlovable, especially in that culture, someone so undeserving of love from people, she's a widow, a foreigner, is in the line of Christ. See, I found that undeserving love in its most pure form is is fullest love, right? That undeserving love is that pure form of love. The kind of love where you receive it, but you don't actually deserve it. See, Boaz was a man of high standing and honor in his community. He had a lot going on. He had fields to maintain and workers to account for. And yet, he makes time to love Ruth. She was a widow. She was lost. She was a foreigner. She was not worthy of the generosity from the fields or worthy of his love. And yet, Boaz shows kindness to her. He shows her love. Not because he can gain anything, but because he loves her. That is full love, right? That is full love. And we experience love to the full when we understand how fully and completely we are loved. Ruth experienced that. You saw when she came back to Naomi and said, this is, look, this is everything that happened. This is great, right? We experience full love when we're shown that kind of kindness. And we can only get that personally now from Jesus Christ. If you leave today with anything, leave with these three things. One, love is not transactional. Two, love is a choice. And three, love is serving. Okay, fullest love is not transactional. It's not, for Ruth and Boaz, Boaz did not say, I will love you if you work in my fields and you do this for me and you do that for me. It's not transactional. He didn't say that, right? For us, Jesus didn't die on the cross for us and say, I died on the cross for you. Now you need to pray to me 18 times a day and do this and this and this and that. It's not transactional. The love of Christ is not transactional. Also, two, fullest love is a choice. See, it's something that you have to do every day and make, make moments of every single moment that you have. See, Boaz didn't have to choose Ruth. He was following the law by letting her follow. He didn't have to do anything more than that. He didn't have to choose to show her kindness. And I think in the same way, God didn't have to choose to send his one and only son to die on the cross for a bunch of sinners. And yet, he loves us. See, fullest love is also serving. See, here is where I get the, just the fullest picture of that. Because you know someone loves you when they are serving you. It's when they put you above others. Boaz didn't have to serve Ruth. He didn't have to offer her extra drink. He didn't have to offer her a place to live. And yet, he shows her love. I love how Matthew 20 says this. For even the Son of Man came to be served, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. My question for you is this. And I want you to answer, actually answer this in your head and talk about it later with someone. But are you showing the fullest love? To be honest, we have a huge need in church for people to serve, right? Maybe for you, that means stepping out of your comfort zone and helping out at one of our venues and serving at maybe our new Saturday night venue and coming and attending on a Sunday morning here. Maybe for you, that means stepping out of your comfort zone and helping with shakeout and showing the love of Christ to all the kids in our community. Maybe for you, that means serving by opening up your home to host a group to come and talk about the message. See, Boaz showed full love. 
But that wasn't even the fullest love. If you want to know what fullest love is, just look at the life of Jesus Christ and follow the ways that he lives. And I think most of us actually do try and follow those things, right? We do try and make those things happen, but often we get derailed by something that pops into our head that says, you're not worthy of love. You don't deserve to be loved. You can't, you don't actually know enough about Jesus to show love to other people or have those conversations. Don't listen to that thief and how he tries to tell you that you're not loved or you don't deserve it because you are. And you can have those conversations about Jesus with people. But don't just relax in the assurance that Jesus loves you. We have to be able to do something about that. Don't let the thief win. Love the people around you so they will know the the same assurance that we find hope in. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the story of Boaz and Ruth and the way that Boaz showed so much love and kindness towards Ruth. I ask that as we look at our own life, we look at ways that we can not only serve you, but serve others and show your love to other people. I ask this all in your name. Amen. See, this story could end differently, right? The story of Beauty and the Beast could have ended differently, right? If they're not shown love, we don't know where the story ends, right? If Belle didn't show the beast love, that's a different story. If Boaz doesn't show Ruth love, that whole genealogy could be different, right? What, what opportunities, what serving opportunities are we missing because we're not stepping up to show other people how much God loves them, right? I think these words say it so clearly from Ephesians. When you're feeling weak, when you don't think that you can do it anymore, when the devil is telling you that you're not good enough, that you can't show other people love, hear these words. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If there's something that's triggering your heart to do something, we have some staff members at the welcome desk. We would love to talk to you about what serving looks like and what taking that next step looks like. We also have new devotions out. We're starting a new series next week, Uh, so grab one of those on your way out. But have a great week. Time for the church to leave the building. We really hope that God spoke something powerful into your life today. An important goal of ours here is to get people into our weekly rhythm of worship, groups, and being in the Word. One of the ways that you can be a part of that is by going to our website, foundrychurch.net, and from there, you can find a link to our devotions page. We're glad that you took the time to listen to this message, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.